Wake up, Daddy's home. Let's get straight into it this week with AEW Dynamite live from March 30th of the 3rd, 2022. CM Punk continued his recent trend of working with tag team competitors in singles matches as he squared off with the acclaims Max Caster in the night's opening match. Caster shined getting his fair share of offense in on Punk, but in the end, it was the grizzled veteran who delivered an old-school pile driver and finished the wrapper off with the Anaconda Vice. Backstage, FTR told MJF that there may be some issues between him and Wardlow, but they are friends with both guys. The scarf-wielding heel reassured them all is well because... When you're in a pinnacle, you're always on top. 9 out of 10. My thoughts. Punk laughing and grinning after Caster's pre-match rep was funny. I wonder how long it will take to get the Will Smith references. He didn't wait too long, did he? Tony Schiavone in reference... To said rep, Jim Ross criticised the AEW stars for not going for pins after enough. Is an interesting call. Punk channeled F. Uh, Punk channeled Ric Flair flipping over the top rope, but unlike the legendary competitor, he actually delivered the double X handle. Before my time in AW is over, I will be a world champion, Punk exclaimed, sending a message loudly and clearly to both Hangman Page and Adam Cole following his victory. The sly and cunning facial expressions from MJF foretold a villain ready to stab his closest friends in the back. The next match is John Moxley versus Jay, the sexual predator, Lethal. And I'm not reviewing it. I will tell you who won. John Moxley won. In some. What I would have thought. What I thought were top moments. In the match. This match gets a 2 out of 10 by the way. Just because Jay the sexual predator. Lethal is in it. Jay should not be on TV. After he has worked in multiple companies and has multiple sexual harassment cases against him as he has sexually harassed the divas he should not be on AEW television so i'm not reviewing his matches moxley played my games with jay the sexual predator lethal by putting his hands behind his back and daring him to lay in forearms to the face the psychological aspect to that and the psychology surrounding Moxley's knee was on point and made for some great callbacks throughout the false finish saw Jay the sexual predator 
counter the rear na naked choke, which was great. It had fans thinking that Jay the Sexual Predator may pull off the upset, but that was never going to happen. Austin and Colt Gunn hoped to enter the tag team title contention with a win over FTR Wednesday night, but beating the best tag team in the company proved to be far more difficult than they could have imagined. This, despite controlling a large portion of the match, FTR fought from underneath, and despite repeated interference from Billy Gunn, Harwood and Wheeler delivered the big rig to score the pinfall victory. The match itself was well wrestled, with an elite team working with a younger tandem to help them grow and evolve. The interference from Billy Gunn, her and the arrival of Wardlow and everything that came with it overshadowed the match to that extent. The post-match confrontation between FTR and MJF proved the pinnacle as we know it is falling apart as it seems one loss here or there from disintegrating FTR is clearly poised for a babyface turn and the team should find incredible success in that role given the fact that fans already love and respect them all you have to do is just keep the middle-aged bucks away from the booking I'm going to give this a 10 out of 10 because I actually really enjoyed it my thoughts MJF disastrously rooting on FTR from the commentary position was a great touch for the heel character that clearly cares only about himself and making himself look good and serving his own interests. He continued to put FTR over despite his initial attempts to prove that everything was okay with the pinnacle. FTR mocking the guns was a laugh out moment especially with Billy at ringside Wardlow exploding into the arena laying out security and getting dangerously close to MJ, MJF before being cut off by more guards was a great angle and the crowd popped huge next a backstage promo from the Jericho Appreciation Society gave way to an explosive brawl between the heel faction and the returning Eddie Kingston and Santana and Ortiz. Fighting into the arena, the babyfaces were on top until the numbers game proved to be too much. The heels beat their rivals down, punishing them and leaving them in a heap before standing tall to the disapproval of the fans. An inevitable clash between these two teams, including whoever Kingston and Santana and Ortiz, will get to back them up, presumably at Double or Nothing, live in Las Vegas, will be a hell of a brawl. This was a great beatdown and further established the dominance of the heels. I'm going to give this a 10 out of 10. <laughs> My thoughts. Jericho referring to himself as a revolutionary force in sports entertainment was a great dig on the old opening to WWE TV. Kingston selling off the arse whooping he received from Jericho's belt 
was probably very real, but he is excellent at putting over agony of punishment at the hands of the JAS. The heat for the JAS was off the charts, proof that the new faction is working. Next, a determined Wheelie Utah took on Daniel Bryan, determined to prove himself to William Regal and the Blackpool Combat Club as he squared off with Daniel Bryan in a match that took him one step closer to being the next breakout star in AW. The crowd in South California was totally behind Wheeler as he battled the best wrestler on the planet. Unafraid of the challenge he presented, it was his unbridled determination that kept him in the match as long as it did. Eventually, the overwhelming force of Daniel Bryan proved too much, but Wheeler Utah emerged stronger than he has ever been in AEW. The young star is growing in popularity with each passing week, and opportunities have continued to present themselves against masterful competitors. Daniel Bryan, being the most recent, will only help him to get where management believes he can be and go quicker. I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. Next, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly held a championship celebration for titles they did not actually win, with Hangman Adam Page and Jurassic Express and Christian Cage interrupting and cleared the heels out of the ring before regaining their missing titles. The segment was mostly uneventful and did not really push things forward in any measurable way. The babyfaces got revenge, but we know it's only a matter of time before the heels get one over on them. To bring things back to the status quo in a feud to, in a feud to this point that is not working as well as Tony Khan imagined it would, despite the reactions to individual acts. The AEW Women's Champion Thunder Rosa joined Tony Schiavone for a promo at the top of the stage in which she said she wants to be the face of all women's wrestling and sent a message to Nyla Rose. Next, the Owen Hart Foundation Women's Tournament kicked off with the bunny squaring off against AEW's newest signee, Tony Storm. The Aussie entered to a thunderous ovation, but quickly found herself confronted with the very real challenge of a veteran opponent tired of being overlooked. Storm shook off the bunny's offense, including a pair of super kicks that nearly ousted her from the tournament early, early to deliver a Storm Zero with a painful victory. The newcomer looked like a star, she was treated like a star, and fans reacted to her as if she was the next signing of the Blessed Virgin Mary herself. You cannot ask for a better reaction from the fans, and you cannot ask for more effective support and a more effective first appearance than that. 8 out of 10.
Page's unexpected appearance drew a big overreaction, as did the appearance from the Jurassic Express. The look on Storm's face as fans rained down on her with cheer and ovation. You could tell she was overwhelmed by the positive reaction and ready to get back to wrestling at a high level. Storm's emotional thank you to fans at ringside reflected a woman who has been going through emotional turmoil and who needed that reception to remind herself she was a major player in sports entertainment and in wrestling and she probably lost some passion for that when she was in WWE and treated like a meh. Next, for some reason, we got Andre Oliu versus Darby Allen. And let me say, nobody takes a better ass kicking than Darby Allen. Something that was on display early and often in Dynamite's main event. The second generation star, Andre Oliu, pushed Allen, brutalizing him before the match even started. Once it did, he resumed the beating, forcing Alan to muster any possible bit of fight he could if he hoped to win. Interference from Jose, the Butcher and the Blade proved to be the difference as Andreo Leo capitalised on the distraction and earned the biggest victory of his AW run thus far. The match was nice and it showed and it was a showcase for Andre, who has become closer to an actual star in AEW. A talented worker who is underserved by the creative in WWE. And so far the creative in AEW. I mean, he came to AEW in search for more opportunities. And it finally appears, though. He has found his footing as the leader of the heel faction feuding with the top baby faces like Alan, Sting, the Hardys, who made the save to close out the show. Hopefully he can sustain this momentum because Andrea Leo Leo is a competitive superstar, every bit as capable of hanging in top matches against top talent as any other wrestler. I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. Sting ensuring the match would be one-on-one, -on -one, a sign of honour and the legendary babyface. Andre firing up and screaming into the camera early on was the most emotional we've seen out of him since he joined AW. The pop for the Hardys never gets old. The roof blows off the place Every single time, no matter how obvious it was, they have to make the save. And now we turn to AW Rampage from the 1st of April 2022. Nick Jackson and Dante Martin started things on AW Rampage with both men showcasing their flip tricks and dance routine and top flight gains and early advantage in the match as Dante and whatever the fuck his brother's name is Darius isolated Matt 
and the opening moments. Moments later, Dante took out the middle-aged bucks with a top-rope suicida, further strengthening their grip over the match. Jackson took down Darius with super kicks out of nowhere, after which the former AW Tag Team Champions finally found an opening in the clash. The middle-aged Bucks were firmly in the driver's seat during the commercial break as they methodically wore down Darius Martin, slowing down the pace. Back to the show. Dante tagged in and quickly took down Nick Jackson with a shotgun super Sora drop kick as Excalibur ever so excitedly exclaimed. Delirious. Darius hit a front line, followed by a senton by Dante, almost winning the match for top flight. Some timingly interference by Matt effectively took Dante out of the bout. Despite Darius trying to fight back in the ring, it wasn't enough as the middle-aged Bucks took him down with a double knee strike for the win on AW Rampage. Result, the middle-aged Bucks booked themselves to defeat Top Flight 3 out of 10. Next, Dan Lambert alongside TNT champion Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page and Paige Van Zandt were in the ring as Lambert called out Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti for behaving like high school students. Page then amused out loud who was behind Sammy and Ty's now viral picture with the TNT Championship. Conti and Guevara appeared outside the arena where they smashed Dan Lambert's expensive car, leaving America's top team leader fuming. Backstage, Hook was being interviewed by Tony Schiavone. However, Danhausen interrupted him before he could speak, trying to curse the team Taz member like last week. The curse didn't work as Hook simply walked away. Danhausen screamed, What is this? Why isn't this working? What is this? We got some Danhausen. That was good. That gets a 10 out of 10 just for the Danhausen bit, let me tell you. Next, the House of Black versus the Dork Order and Del Sol on Rampage, aka Sammy Guevara's fake luchador friend. Stu Grayson gained an early advantage in the match as a laid down Buddy Matthews with a top rope suicida. However, the former Raw tag team champion quickly recovered and single-handedly took out Grayson Evil Uno, after which Brody King began manhandling Del Sol during a commercial break. Back from the break, Uno and Grayson started fighting back, but it was only momentarily as Brody King soon took them out with a senton. Black, Matthews and King surrounded Del Sol 
inside the ring. However, just then Grayson pulled King out of the ring while Uno took out Matthews. Del Sol executed a Hurricane Rana on Black. He fell through an unexpected Black Mist from the former NXT champion. Moments later, this was enough for the House of Black to register a win on AEW Rampage. Result, the House of Black defeated Del Sol and the Dork Order. 8 out of 10. Backstage, the middle-aged Bucks formally accepted FTR's challenge, revealing the match and uh, on next week's Dynamite. Meh. Next, Jamie Hater versus Sky Blue. Hater and Blue started things on Rampage with some back and forth reversals, with the latter using her athleticism to deliver her opponent to deceive her opponent. However, Jamie Hater finally found an opening after she hit a suplex. Blue again fought back with some quick pinfall attempts though. Hater turned the tide in her favour when she went for went to the top rope as she took down Sky Blue with a suplex. The British star hit the brain bust and followed it up with a massive lariat for the win. Jamie Hater defeated Sky Blue. Eight out of ten. Keith Lee versus Powerhouse Hobbs. The match on AEW Rampage started with Keith Lee getting the better of Big Willie Hobbs, forcing Willie Hobbs to go outside to regroup himself. The action soon spoiled to the outside where Keith Lee and Powerhouse Hobbs began brawling during the commercial break. Back to the broadcast, Hobbs was now in control with the former NXT champion, then executing a lariat to find his way back into the main event of Rampage. He attempted a spirit bomb, but Hobbs countered with a backdrop. The team Taz member then hit a power slam on Lee, but the latter quickly recovered. Just when the limitless one was about to hit a big bang Catastrophe, Ricky Starks came out to distract him, after which Shane Strickland also came out. Hobbs then went for the pinfall after hitting a spine buster, but the referee was distracted. This allowed Keith Lee to recover and hit the Big Bang Catastrophe for the win on Rampage. Keith Lee defeated Powerhouse Hobbs. Boring. 7 out of 10. In post-match, Starks attacked Trickland and put him through a table. Meanwhile, Hobbs began assaulting Keith Lee after a distraction from Starks. Though Lee tried to fight back, Hobbs took him out with a devastating spine buster through the table. Now we turn to SmackDown. From this Friday night, that being the 1st of April 2022. And the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Happy Corbin made his presence felt midway through the Battle Royal, cheering on Buddy Moss. The inevitable distraction by Corbin nearly led to the Jester's elimination, but Champa could not send him packing. 
with an with the unrealistic possible dispatched Bowler stunned priest with a kick to send him to the floor moments later Moss eliminated Ziggler and Rude and sent a charging Bowler to the floor to score the biggest win of his career this was less than a stellar battle royal a little more than an excuse to get these stars on the show there was no story involved there was no reason behind it just the Raiders. The guys threw a bunch of kicks and punches en route to Moss scoring the win by eliminating a guy that was far too good to be stuck in a shit match like this. It's nice to see WWE going all the way with Moss. He has more than earned the trust delivering two breakout performances against Drew McIntyre to say the least, and proving himself a talented athlete along the way. The worst in-ring persona that he could have been stuck with, but his growth suggests the company may have plans for him in the aftermath of WrestleMania. So that gets a 2 out of 10. My thoughts on this match. Well, the pop Balor received was great. Aziz and Shanky showdown made for a memorable moment between the big men. Priest elimination outside of the final four or so was an interesting booking choice to say the least. After losing two single matches against Los Lotharios, Intercontinental Champion Ricochet had to defend the title against both in a triple threat match. This was a good hard-fought wrestling match, maybe even better than expected. Angel and Umberto have great chemistry as both partners. And as we saw in later in the match as opponents, the crowd in Dallas was surprisingly into the idea of Los Lotharios sparring something that may have raised a few eyebrows backstage, or it should have at least. A jaw-dropping finish saw the botchmaster Ricochet deliver a 6.30 to Angel before popping right up and delivering a recoil to Umberto for the win. Ricochet winning was never really in question as Michael Cole's in enthusiastically putting him over from before the match even started as a must-see star even though he has lost repeatedly in recent weeks suggests he will play a much bigger role on Friday night's post-mania 2 out of 10 the confrontation between the heels popped the crowd hinting that they may be better rivals and partners Ricochet's ability, ability to hit high heights is well known, but this match was just meh and fuck the writers. Next are teams of Shayna Baszler, Natalia, and our favourite dominatrix Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan watched from ringside as the tag team champions Carmella and Queensy squared off with Sasha Banks and Naomi in a non-title match. 
48 hours before the big fuck-off four-way at Mania, a fairly standard blasé match that saw Banks and Naomi score the win. The latter scoring the pin on Queen Z with a moonsault. The contest put the spotlight on the tag team division ahead of Mania and more importantly protected all the individuals involved by not attempting to be more than it needed to be. The lack of a big pull apart brawl is surprising given how much these asshole writers like to do that and it would have actually made sense here. So who am I kidding? It made sense so of course these asshole writers aren't going to do it. Banks and Naomi's win here is a sign that they will either win the titles or be the ones pinned on Sunday. Booking typically suggests that a team stood tall on the last show before Mania. They are doomed to lose. However, with Sasha Banks going on social media claiming that WWE has done very little to help her through her mental struggles. This might be a win and they might give her the titles at Mania. Although they shouldn't because look what happened last time. She won titles. She won the tag team titles. When she lost them, her and Bailey threw a massive strop backstage and she fucked off for six months. The hype for Charlotte versus Ronda Rousey went into overdrive with a pre-taped promo and a video package and an in-ring promo from the champion. It was nice to see the match get the spotlight by taking up an entire segment, but it would have been even better if there had been a strong match previous to the video segment. 3 out of 10. Michael Cole and Pat McAfee discussing recent tension between the champions continues to hint at their demise at WrestleMania. The video from early in the day caught Ronda Rousey training for her match against Charlotte Flair with friend Shayna Baszler. The Royal Rumble winner cut a promo on Flair that once again reminded fans that she would be so much more effective as a heel. The Ronda Rousey Flair hype video did more to create genuine excitement for the SmackDown Women's title match than anything to this point. WWE's production team is on fire. Do you know why? Because the production team know what they're doing and the writers don't. Every woman wanting to be What? Every woman wanting to be me and every man wanting to be with me, that's cool, Flair said in an in-ring promo, channeling 1999 stable. Rick Boobs was scheduled to square off with Jimmy Uso ahead of the SmackDown Tag Team titles match this Sunday, but it was Austin Theory's attack on Pat McAfee at ringside and Finn Balor's interjection into the proceedings that resulted in a bullshit six-man tag main event. To say the very least, there were a few creative stretches that went into making 
this work, including believing there was, there was any reason that the Usos, Nakamura and Boogs would give a damn about Bowler attacking Theory. But there's probably going to be a really solid six-man tag match to main event. The heels isolated Bowler until a hot tag from Nakamura awakened the crowd. Bowler's re-entry into the match spelled trouble for Theory until the Usos provided a distraction that allowed Theory to capitalise and score the win. This was a shittier than expected episode of the go-home show of SmackDown. The energy from Nakamura and Bala tried their best to elevate it while the Usos tried to use their mastery of hype. Theory shined the feud with McAfee. You can't ask for more than these competitors than that. It's just a shame. Raiders and their bullshit let them down. It's just eh, meh. Just meh. And I'm not going to review the bullshit segment with Drew McIntyre. Where Happy Corbin stole his sword because that's just fucking irrelevant and bullshit for the sake of bullshit. May death be on the writing team. And so we turn to WrestleMania 38. As it is split up over two nights, I will say day one and day two. So day one, after a two hour pre-show, the usual song and dance to get the main show started, Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs made their way out to battle the Usos for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships in the first official match of WrestleMania 38. The former Intercontinental Champion Shinsuke Nakamura came out of the gate hot and stayed on Jay Uso with some stiff kicks. Once Jimmy and Jay got him cornered though, they started controlling the pace with double team attacks. The Usos did their usual routine of keeping the babyfaces isolated until he was able to make what I'm sure was supposed to be a hot tag. But as usual, Shinsuke Nakamura manages to screw up a hot tag. Just why do they even get him to do these things anymore? Anyway, he was able to make the tag tag in his fresh partner but Boogs ended up hurting his knee when he tried to hold both brothers on his shoulders so Nakamura was left to fend for himself after hitting a few moves on Jimmy and Jay and finished the hitting a few moves on Jimmy and Jay finished the King of Strong style off with the 1D for the pin This was a decent tag match, but it did not feel like a WrestleMania-level encounter. There seems like something we could have seen on SmackDown any week of the year. This feud, I hope, is over. I really hope it's over. Especially when you look at some of the teams that are on the blue brand at the moment. In my opinion... 
the Usos should be left with the SmackDown Tag Team Championships for a long, long time. I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10, and that's purely because of Shinsuke Nakamura and his bullshit, basically. He fucked up that hot tag, not once, but twice. The fact that at one point Rick Boogs went for a tag and Shinsuke just moved out of position. Just moved out of position. I was like, what the fuck? You know, it made no sense. However, let's get back to my thoughts. WWE... I did an entire two-hour pre-show without putting on any matches. It could have just been an hour and covered any other pre-show match. You know, this could have been in the pre-show. Michael Cole pointing out how this was Samantha's... This has been the first time Samantha has been the in-ring ring announcer at WrestleMania. She'll probably appreciate that nod when she hears it back. On a plus side, Rick Boogs and Nakamura finally managed to coordinate their ring gear and look like a real tag team. Boogs hit a nice delayed vertical suplex at one point, but he only held it for a few seconds after seeing Bando hold somebody for over a minute at Friday's Ring of Honor Supercard. It's hard to be impressed with holding it for a few seconds. Next, Happy Corbin versus Drew McIntyre. Madcap Moss accompanied Happy Corbin to the ring for his match against Drew McIntyre. These two men have faced each other well over a dozen times in different situations, so many fans went into this match hoping this would be the final chapter of the story. And I'm sure many people, if they needed a bathroom break, this was it. The Scottish warrior tried to get the upper hand right away with some big punches, but Corbin is a former Golden Gloves boxer and did not back down without a fight. They had a good pace going for a few minutes, but they slowed it way down once Corbin began to dominate the action. An accidental distraction from Madcap Moss allowed McIntyre to hit a spine buster and begin his comeback. McIntyre became the first person to kick out of the end of days. He then hit his patented Claymore kick for the win. McIntyre threatened Madcap Moss with his sword afterwards and ended up cutting two of the ring ropes instead. While it had a couple of slow points, this was probably the best match Corbin and McIntyre had during this feud. And that's not saying a lot. They had a good fi- they had good physical moments in this match and good technical moments in this match and helped each other look good. The fact that WWE protected Corbin's finisher for so long is a rarity in wrestling and pro wrestling as a whole. I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. My thoughts. After the previous match, the announcers talked about keeping us updated on Boogs. It appeared he may have suffered a real injury 
to his leg. Let's hope this makes a speedy recovery. McIntyre should have had a bigger entrance for this match. WWE needs to start portraying him as a big star again if he's going to return to the title hunt. Corbin always makes the deep six look good. He hits it dead center every single time. McIntyre hitting a big dive over the top rope onto Corbin and Madcap Moss was very Undertaker-esque. It's something that doesn't happen that often, but yet it always seems to happen at the big show. Drew McIntyre is officially the first person to kick out of the end of days from Corbin since Cena did it seven years ago. Next, Rey Mysterio and Dominic made their way out to a warm welcome as they prepared to take on The Miz and his influential friend, Logan Paul. After a little jawjacking, The Miz and Ray started for their teams and Paul showed his heel side early by distracting Ray long enough for the A-lister to get the upper hand. Paul had a few moments in the ring with Ray before The Miz and Dominic tagged in and started going at it. Once the heels had control, again they kept Dominic isolated by cutting the ring in half. After what McIntyre did, it feels necessary to point out they did not actually cut the ring in half. Paul hit Ray with Eddie Guerrero's signature three amigo suplexes and the crowd booed more than you would have thought possible. Ray and Dominic hit him with a double 619 followed by two five star frog splashes but the Miz spoiled their ending by making a blind tag and hitting Ray with the skull crushing finale for the win. As they were celebrating their huge win, The Miz hit Paul Logan with the skull-crushing finale. The crowd popped, and we may have just watched him turn babyface, whether he wants to or not. As annoying and confidential, comp uh, controversial as Paul can be, there is no denying he put in the work to make sure he did not embarrass himself here. Not only did he hold his own, he also had some impressive moments. This was a typical celebrity match, but Ray and The Miz, being the veterans they are, meant it had a little extra shine on it. The experience and the expectations for this were low before the event, so it's safe to say this match exceeded expectations given the experience involved. 9 out of 10. My thoughts. WWE made sure to give the ring crew plenty of time to replace the ropes by playing a couple of video packages. The Mysterios both had awesome ring gear for this match. Paul Logan was wearing the world's most expensive Pokemon card around his neck like a medal. Why? At one point, Paul did the splits and showed off some surprising flexibility. Dominic hit a nice arm drag head scissors combo to both The Miz and Paul. It was very reminiscent of a move his father used to do many times in the past. So, a Marvel inspired video played before the narcissist came out, picking up the narcissist uh, history from NXT to WWE. The way she came out skipping and 
dancing about and flipping her hair, it was obvious she was going to win the title. Not only that, a fan shouted as she was on her way down to the ring, Becky's going to beat your ass," And the narcissist actually turned around and said, she may do, but I'm walking out with the gold, bitch. <sighs> the bell rang, but neither woman rushed to lock up. They took in a huge ovation from the crowd before the narcissist extended her hand as a sign of respect. Becky Lynch slapped it away and hit the manhandle slam for a close two count. After that, the narcissist escaped a repeat of a swift summer slam defeat, annoyingly. She had to kick out several more pin attempts. She used Lynch's own submission against her but was unable to make her tap out. They took the fight out of the ring and big time Beck sent the narcissist into the steel steps. After failing to get the win with a beautiful 450 splash, the narcissist took a manhandle slam onto the steps. They kept fighting as competitively as possible right up until the end when just out of nowhere the narcissist hit the KOD for the win and for some reason these moronic fans decided that they were going to erupt as the narcissist was handed the title belt. A lot of fans were expecting this to be similar to SummerSlam but with Belair winning this time. Thankfully this was not the case. WWE gave them big entrances and more than enough time to make sure this was a great match. Even with the narcissist not selling, doing her typical, oh no girl, you don't know who I am, bullshit, Becky was able to carry her to what I would call a 10-10 match. Becky tried a handful of times to go for technical moves and put on a technical clinic however the narcissist refused to go along with it and you you could hear her actively screaming oh no girl i don't do that that's not me y'all thinking of charlotte or someone else i don't do that it's like really you aggravating bitch becky's trying to put on a good performance and make you look good Cut your ego out and just do what you're fucking told. Miserable, self-centered, narcissistic bitch. <sighs> this felt more like a clash of styles than it did a fight. Becky Lynch had a lot of aggression and laid in a lot of moves to force the narcissist to sell. Working together, this could have been a great match. However, the narcissist decided, fuck it. So, meh. This was the first bout that felt not even worthy of being a Raw or SmackDown match on this card. Everything about it, when Becky Lynch was in control, was as perfect as you can get. Everything that happened when the narcissist was in control was just as ridiculous as you can get. I wanted to give this a 20 out of 10. However, due to the narcissist, I can only give this a 10 out of 10. 
and the entire 10 out of 10 is for Becky Lynch and her performance. My thoughts. Lynch had her own special entrance that was kind of like the opening before every Marvel movie. Big time Bex's new haircut looked great. She should be... thankful that she was able to find a good hairdresser after the narcissist's criminal act on Raw. The combatant's ring gear was on a different level while big time Bex looked professional and classy, the narcissist looked trashy. Everything from the video packages to the special entrances to the brutality of the match showed how much Becky Lynch outclasses the narcissist in everything she does. After a video package recapping Seth Rollins' journey to this year's WrestleMania, he came to the ring looking like the happiest man on the planet. He has an entire choir singing his entrance on the stage. After some pyro went off, the lights went down, Cody Rhodes' music hit, you know, Cody's My Kingdom music, perfect. Music hit and he made his way to the ring with a huge pop from the fans. He looked enthusiastic to be back in front of the WWE Universe, but Seth Rollins did not seem to share the crowd's feeling. The American Nightmare controlled the first couple of minutes and showed off for the crowd a bit. The Visionary got in a few good shots before he and Rhodes started brawling. The match was a fantastic display of what you would call Big match wrestling. They played to the crowd, sold big spots and made each other look like world beaters. Rollins was the perfect choice to be Rhodes' first opponent back in WWE. The story here seems to be that these two were equals in almost every way. They counted each other several times to show they knew each other's playbook even though Rhodes made a big return after seven years away. It was not a one-sided fight. Rollins made him work for his victory. After both men failed to put each other away with several of their biggest moves, Rhodes eventually picked up the win by hitting the crossroads twice, followed by a series of jabs and a bionic elbow and a third crossroads to seal the deal. This was a fantastic way to make his return and it's great to see the grandson of a plumber back in WWE and is going to be interesting to see what happens next. In this match I'm going to give a 50 out of 10. I fucking loved it. WWE couldn't keep Rhodes' return a secret but chose not to mention it until he appeared. This is similar to what happened with CM Punk in All Elite Wrestling. Everybody knew he was coming but the company played dumb until his music hit. Rhodes doing a cartwheel was pretty funny and the fact that the announcers sold it as it's Rhodes shedding some bad skin and bad memories from last time he was in this place. Cody Rhodes last match prior to this mania was in the same stadium in Texas, so that was a nice little, nice little spot.
The spot when they tumbled over the top rope to the floor because they kept reversing a suplex looked nasty. Rollins was sent flying over the announcer's table when Rhodes hit a suicide dive and it looked great. Both men teasing a pedigree was a fun moment, but the springboard cutter Rhodes hit moments later was the best spot in the match. Just mwah. After a long break with several video packages and Hall of Fame acknowledgements, Ronda Rousey made her way to the ring to challenge Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown Women's Championship. As soon as they locked up, it was clear this was going to be a physical encounter. They were not trying to make anything look smooth or pretty. This was all about making it look like they were having a fight. The Queen focused a lot of her offense on Rousey's leg to set her up for the figure eight. Ronda Rousey used more comprehensive approach with her offense and focused on dishing out as much damage as possible. They did a great job making it feel like a competitive fight but it didn't quite reach the levels WWE were probably hoping for. It's hard to say exactly what was missing, but it felt like there was something majorly missing from this match, and it needed it to push it over the edge. It went on a little bit too long, and fell just a bit short of the two bouts that preceded it this night. There was one... This was one of the top three matches that WrestleMania was advertised around. They worked their butts off to make sure it wasn't just another forgettable chapter in the long-running feud. When the dust settled, Flair scored to win with a big boot to retain her title. Eight out of ten. My thoughts. Rousey looked more confident than she did in a Women's Royal Rumble match and subsequent appearances, it seems like she found her groove again after taking more than a year away. The moment when Flair hit a spear looked great because it appeared as if she came out of nowhere with it. They had the perfect camera angle for it. Rousey's upper chest was already showing whelps from some of the Queen's chops. Vince McMahon decided to cut the New Day versus Sheamus and Red Holland match for time so we went right from Ronda versus Flair to the KO show to close night one of Mania. It took a long time to get the actual segment because WWE played several video packages that recapped the entire story which is kind of impressive because there wasn't much to the story. As fans we say whatever we want about WWE Making decisions to close night one with a slow-talking segment. The fact of the matter is Owens just closed out WrestleMania with Stone Cold Steve Austin. There are thousands of wrestlers who would have killed to be in this position. Kevin Owens talked some trash before Stone Cold came out to a major ovation. To give his response, he took his time getting to the ring, playing to the crowd several times. He seemed a little surprised that Owens actually wanted to have a conversation. After some more insults, Kevin Owens officially challenged Stone Cold to an old hold bars match and surprisingly Stone Cold accepted and called for a damn ref. Down here to make it official, the bell rang and they had a stare down in the middle of the ring before Austin started unloading on him in the corner. 
They fought all around the arena, into the crowd and up onto the stage again. Both men took suplexes on hard surfaces and a couple of tables were broken along the way after Austin kicked out of Kevin Owens' stunner and avoided a chair shot, the rattlesnake hit a stunner of his own for the win. Was this a classic match that will be studied for years? Absolutely not. However, it was fun, entertaining and memorable and at the end of the day, that's what it takes to make a WrestleMania moment and Kevin Owens got his on Saturday. Even if he didn't come out with the win, the segment over-delivered in the best way possible. As a whole, night one of WrestleMania ended up a mixed bag of some exceeding expectations and some not. A couple of the results were genuinely shocking. We saw a few of the match of the year candidates and Austin worked his first match in almost 20 years. Not too shabby. A hundred out of ten. WWE kept saying Austin hasn't hit anyone with a stunner in many years during the build-up to this match, but he hit several people with stunners since he's retired. The pop Austin received was easily the biggest of the decade. Stone Cold still has fans in the palm of his hands and nobody can control an audience quite like him. It was kind of an odd choice to have Stone Cold sit silently for several minutes while Kevin Owens spoke, Austin pretending his knee hurt too much to stomp a mud hole before revealing he was perfectly fine was just hilarious. Austin taking a suplex on concrete floor in 2022 is just wild. The night's opening match of WrestleMania Night 2 saw RK-Bro, Randy Orton and Riddle successfully retain their Raw Tag Team Championship in a triple threat match against the Street Profits and Alpha Academy. A highly energetic three-way bout that featured one member from each team in the ring at the same time. It was a perfect choice to kick off the show. The crowd was into it and the competitors were amped up and the Orton hot tag sparked a phenomenal finish sequence that concluded with the Viper catching Chad Gable with the RKO mid-flight for the win. The Street Profits showed respect to the victors post-match, suggesting the recent teased heel turn isn't going anywhere. Thank fuck for that. Given the lack of depth in the tag team division, it's likely for the best that the Street Profits stay fan favourites. This was a great way to kick off tonight's in-ring action. Triple H kicked off the show, making his way to the ring and leaving behind his boots, a symbolic sign that his in-ring career has come to an end. Ford's over the top rope, whip out his opponents, Gable and the moonsault moments later did the same. Orton's hot tag is one of the best things in wrestling today. He was fired up in this one. Gable and Ford running back. The monkey flips spot later with the latter. Landing on his feet was a nice touch. Gable interrupted the post-match toast between RK Bro and the Street Profits. Olympic gold medalist Gable Stevens, the two-time NCAA champion, suplexed the heel. The unstoppable force met the immovable object 
in the night's second match as Bobby Lashley looked to halt Omos's momentum. He successfully delivered a massive vertical suplex to Omos and followed up with two spears for the pinfall victory. The match was mercifully short and Omos was not asked to do too much. Of course, what he was asked to do, he managed to mess up by sending the almighty head first into the turnbuckle. Lashley still went over. In the end, the big man's dominance in what was the right call. One man as a former world champion and the other is probably not ready to be a single star. 3 out of 10. Lashley suplex was cool. Almost driving Lashley into the corner with Lashley's head bouncing off the ring post was a pretty scary moment. It was a short match which might be the nicest thing that can be said about the contest. Next match was Johnny Mott. Johnny Knoxville versus Sami Zayn. It was a gimmick match, and it was the ultimate bullshit gimmick match. And I'm just going to tell you who won, and a couple and a couple of high spots. Johnny Knoxville beat Sami Zayn. This was the greatest example of garbage outlaw macho bullshit wrestling done within an elite company. Perhaps Zayn's greatest accomplishment in this run. This gets a 2 out of 10. The match was just bullshit. Next, the four-way match for the Women's Tag Team Championship. And remember my thoughts going into this match. That Liv Morgan and our favourite dominatrix Rhea Ripley were going to get screwed. And they were going to put the title on the titles on Sasha Banks and Naomi just because she's Snoop Dogg's cousin, and I know WWE are trying to get Snoop Dogg to be a guest on the Backlash, on the WrestleMania Backlash um, pay-per-view. So what's the best way to get Snoop Dogg to appear on there? Give his cousin the tag titles. We'll see if that ploy works at the next pay-per-view. However... Sasha Banks and Naomi, Natalia and Shayna Baszler and Liv Morgan and our favourite dominatrix Rhea Ripley challenged Queensy and Carmella for the Women's Tag Team Championships in a final four-way match. A spotty contest with almost too much going on for its own good saw Banks and Naomi use tandem offence to score the pinfall on Carmella and win the titles. The effort was there, and all eight women were were highlighted well, but with so many competitors looking to get their shit in. The match consisted of more spots and fleshy sequences than selling or paying attention to storyline or anything that would have made this match good. One or two of the babyface teams had to win here, given the fact that Banks has competed at six WrestleManias without a win, and the fact that WWE are trying to get her cousin Snoop Dogg to appear at the WrestleMania Backlash pay-per-view. This was a good time, as any, to give her the tag titles. The boss and Naomi are a dynamic team on SmackDown and will hopefully inspire the creative team 
to take the tag title seriously. However, I doubt it because these riders are a piece of shit that deserve nothing but death. Two out of ten. Corey Graves, Byron Saxon put over the previous partnership between Banks and Iommi during their time with Team Bad. Establishing a history that did not exist amongst the other teams. Stereo top rope suiciders from Morgan and Banks were a nice way to bring the energy and pop to the Smoronic crowd early and often. And let me tell you, this crowd was moronic. All they were interested in were flip tricks and dance routines. And stupidness, which is why they reacted so well to the last match of Johnny Knoxville versus Sami Zayn. The double Tower of Doom spot was sweet and brought the crowd into the match. Again, flip tricks and dance routine. The look of disbelief on Gray's face... Corey Groves' face after the near fall from Carmella was amusing at best. Next, arguably the most anticipated match on the card amongst the die-hard fans, AJ Styles vs Edge. And it did not disappoint. A lengthy contest that started slow but built to its false finish and high spots it saw. Edge scored the win. After a momentary distraction from Damian Priest, the former United States champion popped up at ringside, momentarily preventing Styles from delivering the phenomenal forearm to Edge. Edge capitalised and used a spear that earned the Hall of Fame of the win. Was this a match of the year candidate that many expected it to be? No. But it was still a strong bout, full of great in-ring psychology. Styles sold like a champ for Edge's arm work, while the rated R superstar put over the phenomenal one's late burst perfectly. Priest's involvement set up a potential star-making partnership with Edge. More importantly, the finish suggests that the feud with Styles will continue given them ample opportunity to improve on this match. This match gets a 9 out of 10. Edge's entrance was superb. He looked like a total, total badass as he emerged from the flames and sat on a throne with his latest attire bridge theme accompanying him. Great stuff. Stars appeared to pop his left shoulder back into place, putting over the work Edge has done to that point. The suplex on the ring apron was scary, but both guys appeared to be okay. The false finish of the Styles Clash was amazing. Next, it appears the Raiders were able to con Vince McMahon into letting this match happen. The New Day versus Sheamus and Ridge Holland. The match between the New Day and the team of Sheamus and Rich Holland. Vince McMahon very wisely decided to take off the show on Saturday, but it appears the Raiders were able to con him into putting this match 
on on Sunday instead. This match was never expected to be memorable, decent, good, entertaining or anything other than a filler match. And it wasn't even a decent filler match. The spirit of a bout was more sport. The spirit of the bout was more sports than anything culminating with Holland pinning Xavier Woods following the Northern Grip. Why WWE still feel the need to have Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston employed in this company when they've let so many talented people go is beyond me. Next, Austin Theory versus Pat McAfee. Just by the way, Austin Theory came down to the ring. We knew Pat McAfee was going to win. Pat McAfee showed up and showed out Sunday night as he defeated Austin Theory in a match that Dallas fans were red hot for. Raw athleticism from McAfee and solid heel work from Theory combined to make a fun expedition that exceeded expectations. Theory's ego proved costly as he tried for the A-Town down only for McAfee to roll him up and grasp a handful of tight for the win. This was not an instance like earlier on in the night where Sami Zayn was instrumental in the overall success of the match with Johnny Knoxville. McAfee held his own and performed up to the momentum and should be allowed back in the ring whenever the opportunity presents itself. The post-match which saw in improvised bout between Pat McAfee and McMahon threatened to undo everything accomplished by the first match though the WWE chairman made the NFL kicker look like a geek before earning a win it usually takes Finney Mac a good two or three weeks to damage the hottest act in the company so this was an impressive turnaround Stone Cold Steve Austin made the save to deliver the ugliest stunner of all time to McMahon and added another to McAfee before standing tall. 7 out of 10. McAfee joined in a commentary team as he beat down Theory. was a great moment and called back to something The Rock used to do. At the height of the Attitude Era, the former Indianapolis in Colt player leading the top rope and delivering a suplex was a fantastic spot. Theory selling the stunner was right out of the Rock's playbook and was superb. McAfee still smarting and smiling after the stunner and was caught enjoying a beer was quite funny. Next, the winner takes all for the WWE Universal and World Heavyweight Championship. The biggest match at WrestleMania may have pitted the two biggest stars in sports entertainment against each other with both the WWE and Universal Championships on the line, but it did not quite live up to the billing and expectation. Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar delivered the heavy-hitting battle you would hope for, 
but the suddenness of the finisher preceded by the ugliest spear spot put a damper on proceedings. The tribal chief escaping the S5 and delivering the spear to win seemingly out of nowhere felt anticlimactic. The feud and competitors and the audience deserved something a bit more definitive than that. If there's a silver lining in this, it's the right guy went over Reigns finally has his definitive WrestleMania moment. Something he and WWE have chased for years. 10 out of 10. Lesnar starting the match with his gloves off was a nice call back to the WrestleMania 31 main event between these two. Heyman begging Lesnar to take him back was exactly what you expected from his slimy heel persona. The Beast Incarnate <coughs> laughed off Reigns' Superman punches, unfazed by the Universal Champion's signature strike. Michael Cole and Corey Graves covering for a botched spear spot by suggesting Reigns was targeting the kidney and lower back of Lesnar was a great touch from Corey Graves. Especially after Michael Cole decided he was going to demonic scream that Reigns was targeting the kidneys and the lower back to really drive it home that it's his idea when Corey Graves said it first and he said it three times. Reigns celebrating with both titles as the pyro exploded both in and out of the arena was the end of the visual this show needed. However, it looks like Reigns has injured himself, which is not good. And now we turn to Monday Night Raw from the 4th of April 2022. After the obligatory WrestleMania 38 highlight reel, Cody Rhodes arrived on stage as the crowd chanted his name to kick off the show. As he stood in the ring to chant of Welcome Back, which echoed through the arena, the American Nightmare looked a bit choked up at the reception and played to the crowd a bit to hype himself up again. He asked what everybody wanted to talk about before addressing why he returns to WWE. He said it was not a difficult decision, but rather a simple one. Cody got emotional talking about Dusty Rhodes, his daddy, and how he looked at his dad as a hero how he showed a photo of Dusty holding the old version of the WWE Championship that he said was on his parents' mantle for many years. He told a story about Dusty telling him how he never actually won the title because he was screwed out of it. He almost began crying as he said he never got to win the WWE title while his father was alive, but he could certainly still win it. Seth Rollins came to the ring and Cody immediately offered him a handshake. The visionary, the revolutionary, Seth freaking Rollins looked a little bit confused but shook his hand. Anyway, it seems like that might have been them saying their match was a one and done. Regardless of whether their feud continues, this was a fantastic promo and an awesome way to open the post 
Mania edition of Raw. Cody said exactly what he needed to say, and the crowd ate up every second of it. My thoughts. WWE's version of Cody Volta is not quite as well hidden as it was in AEW, but it's still made for a cool visual to rebuild him on Raw. Cody being genuinely emotion was such a cool moment to witness, calling himself the star that left them in the dust was hilarious. Cody's promo was one of the most genuine and emotional speeches we have seen in WWE in recent years. Pro wrestling can be pretty great sometimes. I also think, now fans, my pack, do you remember when in AEW Cody did that great promo on the ladder? And I said, this feels like the first part of a promo. This promo he did here felt like the second part of it. It really did. It felt like the second part of the promo. I can't find it on YouTube, but I would recommend you go back and watch it. The first match of the night was a championship contenders bout with the newly formed women's tag team champions Naomi and Sasha Banks taking on our favourite dominatrix Rhea Ripley and Liv for Hottie Morgan. Rhea and Naomi started for their teams. Each competitor had a few good spots before the boss tagged in for a few double team combinations. They brought the fight out of the ring and all four women took bumps in one way or another. This was a decent match that allowed all four superstars to get in some of their signature moves, but there were but there was a strange pacing issue at one point. The biggest strength of this bout was how both duos used some creative double team moves. As good as Naomi and Rhea Ripley were together, Banks and Morgan stood out for having the best chemistry as opponents. Given their former history in Team Bad and the Riot Squad, this is understandable. This match wasn't over the top or exceedingly memorable, but it delivered some fun to get the action going. I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. And I've been thinking about this the entire way I went through it. And I'm going to give that Cody promo a 15 out of 10. My thoughts on this match, however. Morgan and Ripley have been getting... Have been setting social media on fire lately (coughs) with their new wrestling attires. Ripley held up... Naomi for a vertical suplex for almost 30 seconds. There was an awkward moment before the commercial break when everything seemed to come to a halt. Out of nowhere, it looked like Rhea is already tired of being Morgan's partner. She walked off after they lost looking pretty pissed off. Next was the Kevin Owens promo and Dominic Mysterio versus The Miz. 
Kevin Owens came out to deliver a promo about his match with Stone Cold. Steve Austin. He said Stone Cold is still great, but he also blamed a back injury for his loss. Someone's music hit and the Titan Tron said, Ezekiel, this was actually Elias, but he had a clean shave and they got rid of them ridiculous dirty ass jeans. He looked almost nothing like the Elias we remember. He had shaved his hair and was wearing trunks. He claimed to be Elias's younger brother. The segment ended with Ko just walking away. This was a strange way to re-debut Elias, but the company seemed to be taking the piss out of the fact that he's been repackaged. And it literally just took the piss out of everybody. The dwindling fan base that WWE have, that everybody realised it was Elias. And he says, oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm Elias' younger brother. Dumb fucks, that's not going to work. But then... What should we expect with the rainiest circle jerking assholes that deserve to be shot have, and be boiled in oil and have their fat sold for soap at least then they'll be useful at least once in their life. Regardless, the next match saw The Miz take on Dominic Mysterio with Ray in his corner. The Miz ended up winning with the skull crashing finale in less than a minute, as Ray was teething, attending to his son, Veer finally appeared. He walked down the ramp as the three men in the ring looked on. The Miz made a quick exit, leaving Mysterio to suffer the wrath of Veer. 9 out of 10 KO promo. Elias' re-debut, 0 out of 10. The match, 5 out of 10. The Veer debut, 0 out of 10. My thoughts. Elias is legitimately, in the eyes of the creative team, unrecognisable without his beard, long hair, and his dirty jeans. His voice was the only thing familiar about him I guess that's what the writers are thinking anyway the match between Dominic and The Miz was basically a squash it buried Dom a lot and good after the cockiness and the arrogance and everything we've seen from Dominic Mysterio it's about time that he was actually made to lose Veer finished the job by destroying the father and son combination <coughs> Good way to get Veer over. It would have been better if they hadn't advertised him for months as coming. If he'd have just turned up and just destroyed him. Veer's debut marks the death of so many running jokes on social media. Next. The Narcissist's promo and Bron Baker mm -hmm. versus... Drew McIntyre, uh, Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler. The narcissist was out after the break to give a promo about winning the Raw Women's title from Becky Lynch. 
She said the people deserve a better champion than Becky and she got better and beat her. The promo was uninterrupted, uninspiring and just the narcissist going on and on and on and on and on and on and on. She talked for about 15 minutes without having to worry about furthering a storyline making sense you know or keeping the crowd or anybody actually involved as this was a 15 minute segment about the narcissist and what the narcissist thought and the narcissist getting the narcissist over in her own head anyway the next match was Bron Breaker, a.k.a. Bron Steiner, versus Dolph Ziggler for the NXT Championship. Ziggler won their bout at NXT Stand and Deliver on Sunday, so the son of Rick Steiner was looking to make sure this one had a different result. As Ziggler, as expected, Ziggler and Breaker put on another amazing encounter. Their match from the weekend had the benefit of being commercial free so it's tough to say which one was better from start to finish after the same dirty tactic Sickler used to retain the title on Saturday failed him in this bout Breaker drilled him with a spear and hit a big power slam to get the pin and win back the NXT title the narcissist promo 0 out of 10 this match, 10 out of 10. My thoughts. Why the fact that WWE let the narcissist talk uninterrupted for 15 minutes is beyond me. And they did. They just let her waffle and waffle and waffle and waffle and waffle and waffle. It made absolutely no sense what she was saying. It made no sense why she was even out there to begin with. She didn't say anything that made any impact or enhanced the women's division or did anything to highlight the women's division. The only saving grace in the narcissist's promo was we didn't get mm -hmm. to hear any of the is with any luck Becky Lynch is finished with the narcissist now and she can move on to destroying and trying to steal spotlight from the rest of the women in the raw division hopefully Becky is off for a while to get the stench of the narcissist off of her is the politest way I can put it But yes, Bron Steiner has the kind of explosive speed and power you can't teach. Brock Lesnar has something very similar. Ziggler's drop kick has to be amongst the top five in professional wrestling history. He always looks like he nails his opponent right in the face as hard as he can. 
Bronsteiner hitting a dive over the top rope to take out Robert Roode was an amazing spot and something I wasn't actually expecting. Next, MVP's heel turn. Carmella and Queen Z battle Natalia and Shayna Baszler. MVP was in the ring after a commercial break to introduce Bobby Lashley and kick off an, a new almighty era. Lashley got a nice little pop from the crowd when he arrived on the stage. He took a moment to bump fists with some fans on his way to the ring. Lashley spoke about beating Omos for a minute before Omos came out to respond. He demanded a rematch and Lashley prepared to respond. MVP attacked the Almighty from behind. MVP being the one to turn on Lashley was the right move because it helps solidify Lashley's face turn. Omos needs a mouthpiece so pairing him with MVP makes a lot of sense. This segment was telegraphed a bit but could still work well in the end. The next match was going to feature the other two teams from the women's fatal four-way at Mania when Carmella and Queen Z took on Natalia and Shayna Baszler but the match never happened. Queen Z and Carmella ended up fighting before their opponents even came to the ring. After Queen Z left, Corey Graves and Mella made out. This was all to serve as the breakup for the tag team, but it could have been accomplished in a backstage segment. So, the heel turn and everything that happened in it. 9 out of 10. The Queen Z and Carmella stuff, 2 out of 10. My thoughts. The way Lashley has transcended from heel to babyface has been interesting to watch. It wasn't the usual turn that was done with one segment. It had been a slow burn that finally seemed to have taken hold. MVP clocked Lashley in the back. It looked great on camera. During a backstage segment, Ripley revealed to Morgan that they were still going to get a title shot despite their losing the championship contenders match. How does this even make sense? Why is it even happening? Find out next time on the Raiders, because I'm sure they'll come up with some bollocks by next week. Everyone in WWE seems to be making out lately. Somebody in charge really likes romantic storylines and teen drama and appears to be sexually repressed at home, is the only thing I can say. Next, the Usos. And Austin Theory versus RK Bro and Finn of the House Bala. The Usos teamed up with Austin Theory to take on Riddle, Randy Orton, and Finn Balor in a six man tag match. When they were backstage,
the Usos made fun of Fury losing to Pat McAfee, so their team was not exactly built on a foundation of trust or respect. Now that Theory has finished up his feud with McAfee, it looks like he will be pursuing the Intercontinental title held by Finn Balor. They have teased this feud for weeks, and it looks like it's finally beginning to move forward. All six of these men use different styles, but they all knew how to work against the other styles so it wasn't a complete clusterfuck but there were moments in the match let me tell you let me tell you these teams for the most part managed to mesh well and put on some solid moments in what was in what was overall a solid match Decent map work, some fun double team moments. Theory ended up getting the win for his team. They pin over Bowler, so he will likely use this to request a title shot in the future. I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. My thoughts. The Usos making fun of Theory kind of made them feel like baby faces again when the Usos aren't playing second fiddle to Roman Reigns. They are outstanding on the mic. The spot when Theory tripped Riddle on the middle rope to send him crashing. When Theory tripped Riddle, sorry, on the middle rope to send him crashing to the floor looked great. A lot of wrestlers have used the cutter as a signature move, but nobody hits it the way Orton does. His RKO always looks incredible. Next, Edge and Damian Priest promo, Street Profits versus Alpha Academy. Again, the Alpha Academy have no association with this Alpha or this pack or the Alpha Zone. I say that because I'm sick and tired of getting tweets. Is the Alpha Academy on WWE associated with the Alpha Zone? No, no it's not. And it never, ever, ever, ever will be. Edge came out to the ring to boast about beating AJ Styles at WrestleMania and forming an alliance with Damian Priest, the Archer of Infamy, said he was lost before Mania and the crowd chanted, we don't care, and Priest said he didn't care about the crowd not caring anymore. Honestly, Raiders, how many times can you get Damian Priest to say care? Oh, God. Seriously, line these writers up against the wall, shoot them, and just boil them in oil and sell their fat for soap and get it over with. Get a real booker before the ladies circle jerking bunch of arseholes destroy what's left of WWE. Because that seems to be what they're trying to do. Styles came down to get some revenge, but Priest and Edge used their numbers advantage to make sure he did not get what he wanted. The rated R superstar hit a spear. Several officials prevented Edge from hitting Styles with a steel chair. 
This was a decent promo, but it didn't accomplish anything of note or set anything new up. Next, the Street Profits took on Alpha Academy in the next match of the night. Otis and Chad got an early start by attacking Ford and Dawkins before the bell. Adam Pearce came out and turned this into a Texas Tornado tag team match. Why? It wasn't needed. We have seen these teams fight several times, but this stipulation tried and it tried its best to help them keep it fresh and to make it feel like it wasn't exactly the same match we've seen week in and week out. The bout had some entertaining spots but it never reached the levels of craziness you'd expect from a tornado tag match. We did get to see Ford put Gable through a table with a massive frog splash to score the win so that helped to make the finish more exciting than the countless times we've seen this so the promo gets a 5 out of 10 the match gets a 2 out of 10 Edge made a reference to Priest being a punishment for someone which was a very blatant reference to Priest's old ring name, Punishment Morales. The fans chanting, we are losers, after Edge called them losers, was hilarious. Priest and Edge were supposed to hit a spear and leg sweep at the same time. But thanks to the botch by Priest, this never even came close to hitting Styles. We're running out of ways to say Ford can defy gravity. He keeps producing memorable moments. But I mean, honestly, you know, here in the Alpha Zone, me and the Cat God have spoken about it. I've spoken about it on Twitter. I've spoken about it on Snapchat. I've had Snapchat calls from fans in the alpha zone where they ask about Ford and how much can he continue to defy gravity and if I think he's WWE's version of Jeff Hardy well no because there's never going to be another Jeff Hardy is he WWE's version of Sammy Guevara well no because Sammy Guevara with all due respect, is a cruiserweight, and cruiserweights are known for their high flying. It's just there's been a considerable lack of good cruiserweights for such a long time that whenever one comes along, it's fantastic. The fact that both the major companies have a great cruiserweight each just shows that it can happen. Raw ended with Roman Reigns coming out to a celebration after becoming the undisputed WWE and Universal Champion. 
He was flanked by the Usos and Paul Heyman, who was holding both of Reigns' belts. Reigns and Heyman spent a few minutes talking just to reveal that they will tell us the next step on Friday. This was not a good way to use Reigns the day after he unified both titles, in which the Raiders managed to waste any heat or any excitement there was to see Reigns. Zero out of ten. See, I'm not going to say my thoughts here. I'll say memorable moments and observations. WWE waited until it had less than ten minutes left. Then had Roman do his full entrance to take up about four and a half of those minutes. When Reigns lifted the belts above his head, it looked like he was a... In a little bit of pain, it's possible he suffered a minor injury Sunday. Honestly, I thought he suffered a major injury. However, you know, if what we've seen on Raw is to be believed, it's only a minor injury. And that's good. That is very, very good. I can't wait to see... Who Reigns faces next. And I hope Paul Heyman speaks to Vince McMahon. And just says look. You saw what the writers did on Raw. For fuck's sake. Do not. Let them anywhere near Reigns. At the moment. If you want somebody to have a match with Reigns. Please let me. Organise it. Let me set it up. Let me book it. And it will be done. Please do not let the writers anywhere near it because they have just diminished the star power of Reigns spectacularly with this bullshit end to Monday Night Raw. And that's all it was. It was bullshit for the sake of bullshit. Now, I watched Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor on Friday the 1st of April. And the only thing in my opinion worth reviewing was the FTR versus Briscoes for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. On Twitter there was the hashtag them boys versus hashtag top guys and this match overperformed considering that there's there hasn't been on Ring of Honor TV for three months. This match wasn't advertised, bigged up, publicised on AEW television. These guys have been cutting promos on social media to get the fans hyped for this match. And let me tell you, there was a lot of hype going into this match. Would they be able to live up to the hype? Would they be able to deliver? And guys, I just guys and girls, I just need a sip of water. Would they be able to deliver on the hype? Well, let's go with the review, shall we?
The Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships were up for grabs when Den Boys, Jay and Mark Briscoe took on Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler of FTR. Both teams had trouble holding themselves back until the ref could call for the bell. The crowd was chanting, this is awesome, before they even made contact with each other. FTR got some booze when they refused to adhere to the Code of Honor handbook and they refused to shake the Briscoe's hands. Mark and Wheeler started for their teams by trading takedowns, counters, traditional wrestling and grappling wrestling. Oh. Oh, perfect. Just perfect. In exchange of counters, a lot of people expected this to be more of a fist fight. Harwood and Jay tagged in at the same time and exchanged some words before locking up. The match was a perfect example of why tag team wrestling is in- integral to any wrestling business. All four of these men worked well to create the perfect match. That any fan of pro wrestling in any genre in any time frame would be proud to say yeah I saw that match and that was a great fucking match you should really track that match down take some time to check this out if you haven't this felt old school in the best way possible The match had violence, it had technical precision, it had brutal strikes, it had classic submission, it had blood, it had traditional wrestling, it had grappling, it had everything you could ever want in pro wrestling and then some. They had several false finishes that had the crowd and I'm not ashamed to say this alpha convinced the match was over in many points. A scary moment at ringside with a suplex from the apron brought the doctors out to check on everyone but all four men said they could continue when they got back into the ring they squared off and began to brawl when the dust settled FTR hit their finisher to win the match and the ring of honor titles you couldn't have asked for much more than what these men gave us the ending it with a handshake and a hug was the right call And let me tell you, out of 10, I'm giving this tag team match 100 out of 10. I think this match was from start to finish. Every part of this match was the fact that the referee started to count at one point and he got close to where he should have called for the match to end and he got out of the ring he walked over to the microphone and said this caliber match is not ending that way even the referee you know to turn around and say no this match deserves an ending just my thoughts this this is a match many were hoping would take place in AEW but having it take place in Ring of Honor for the Ring of Honor tag titles 
feels more appropriate, especially for the Briscoes, and it feels more appropriate for Ring of Honor, given its history. The crowd chanting, holy shit, and this is awesome, before there was even a single move was cool. That shows how much everybody wanted to see this match. The spot when Howard spat in Jay's face and then walked away was it was great. Normally Jay Briscoe is the one that does the out of control shit and the fact that Howard spat in his face and walked off was we can get under your skin too guys. The spot when FTR hit a slingshot to Jay into the bottom of a table was involuntary. Jay was busted wide open and began bleeding all over the ring. Mark taking out Wheeler with a corkscrew from the top rope to the floor was just amazing. It really was amazing and everything that this match should have been, it was everything that that anybody hoped it would be and so so much more this match over delivered in every way possible it really did it i know i i'm gushing over this match but let me tell you it was perfect if this match does not get match of the year in every wrestling magazine and on every wrestling card website then I'm sorry but there's just a blatant blatant bias this match was perfect you know and how I'm gonna say this now in the alpha zone this was the match of the year you know this was the match of the year, this tag team match between FTR and the Briscoes. It really was. Now, I know what you're going to say, but Alpha, what about the rest of the card? Well, this is how it went. Everybody from AEW, whether it was the Job Guys or Suzuki, who was just in town, or why not? All the AEW guys beat all the Ring of Honor guys. So now all the AEW guys now have the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. They've got the Pride Championships. If you're an AEW fan, this was a clean sweep for AEW. It really was. Starting from Colt Cabana beating Blake in a 5 out of 10 match. To AEW's Miranda beating Ring of Honor's AQA. Tully Blanchard's new team. But I didn't honestly catch the first guy's name and the second guy was named Cheeseburger. So that's all you need to know about that. But they beat Shinobi Shadow Squad. The job guy 
Hendry beat Ring of Honor's Castiel. Although they called him Castell. If you looked at how they spelt his name, it was Castiel. AW's Swerve beat Ring of Honor's Zane. Brian Cage beat Ninja Mock. Afterwards, Tully Blanchard revealed that Brian Cage is his new client. Lee Moriarty of AEW beat, and I'm just going to call him Jay the Sexual Predator, because that's all he is. Like I said, everywhere he's been, WWE, TNA, New Japan, Ring of Honor, you know, he's, there's been open cases of women claiming that he sexually harassed them. It's only a matter of time before it happens in AEW. And yes, Jay Lethal, I know he works for AEW, but he's a mainstay in Ring of Honor and was a Ring of Honor competitor for over 10 plus years, so he counts as a Ring of Honor man. Mercedes beat interim R, uh, Ring of Honor women's champion Willow to become the interim ROH women's champion. Obviously, in that match that I was just gushing over, FTR beat them boys, the Briscoes, for the Ring of Honor tag titles. Then after that, after that amazing match, it couldn't be left well alone. The Hardly Boys came out, did some Hardly Boys bullshit, and stole the titles and ran off. FTR challenged the Hardly Boys, and so... On Wednesday, it's the Hardly Boys versus FTR for the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. And I really hope that FTR win and retain the titles. However, I've got a feeling that the Hardly Boys, just because they want to get a picture taken with the titles, are going to insist that they win the Ring of Honor titles. They insist that they win triple a titles and they insist that they win the AEW titles so they can take a picture with all the tag team titles you know i've got this horrible feeling that that's what's going to happen as i said earlier suzuki defeated rat r h e t t to win the ring of honor World TV Championship. And yes, they the commentators called him Rat. So that's how we're going with it. Next, Wheeler Utah beat Woods to win the Ring of Honor Pure Championship. And believe it or not, there was a Ring of Honor versus a Ring of Honor guy. Gresham versus Bando. And Gresham won both. titles to become the undisputed Ring of Honor World Champion. Then, the sexual predator Jay Lethal came out to run his mouth that he wanted a title match to be interrupted by the returning Samoa Joe. And that was the Ring of Honor Supercard.